Hey, Steve. Hey, Jim. See, I, I uh, uh, looks like Alan was calling at the same time you're calling. I see a, a, a note from him or a, a, a prompt. Oh, yeah? You see that, too? Uh, no, I'm, I just see my call going out to him now. Hello? Yeah. Hey, Alan. Uh, do you see my picture? Yeah, there you are, live. Oh, okay. okay. You're all good, man. How you been? <laughs> all right. I what what if I do it? The, 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 I don't do anything, right? No, you're here. All good. Okay. Um, I'm going to add uh, Emery and everybody who I expect to be here. I think Ruth will join me here in a minute. She's in the kitchen. Um, there we go. We don't have Mary. We don't have Fairy. No Mary, no Fairy. <laughs> no David. No David. Yeah, well, no, I saw... No Annika. Hmm. Uh, what about Emery? Yeah, well, I just called him. Uh, that's I, a lot I of people. I suspect he's been around on the web uh, this morning. Uh, but he's well, some, not... of the, some of these small ACPs have been pretty sweet, so... I know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> What's an ACP? Art, Art Chat, Chat Podcast. Podcast. Art Chat ACP, ACP, abbreviation yeah. of Art Chat Podcast. Our show. Our show? I, no. You, you have trouble hearing hear me? That? Can you hear me? Yeah, uh, you, you were breaking up. Your, your voice was breaking up. Now I hear you. you were, okay. When you were explaining ACP, which I don't know what that means. That's the initials for Art Chat Podcast. Uh, there you go. I know. I, one, one of those. <laughs> All right. Got it. So it's gonna. I, I would expect we'll get Emery on here eventually, and as I say, probably Ruth too. But um, I guess this is going to be us. Basically, it's going to be us. We're here. All right. We can do this. Yeah. We can do this. We can do this. So I'm, I don't know what's been. Emery Holmes has there he is. enabled yeah. video. There we go. Emery yeah. is here. Hey, Emery. Hey, Em. Hey. 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 Okay. How's your health, buddy? I had too much party last night. Oh, really? Jesus. My health. I live five is... miles closer. <laughs> That's cool. Party. Huh? Oh, it was thoroughly, 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 totally cool. Great. Great, great, great. Tell us about it. So, we introduced the show yet? No, um, I was waiting for Ruth to come in from the kitchen, but we can go ahead. All right. All right. Who, who's going to be the MC? Do, or we, do we have an MC? Why don't you be the MC? No MC. Who are you talking to? Me? Yeah. Uh, because I refuse to do the work. <laughs> <laughs> to do what work? Uh... I'm lazy. <laughs> right. Yeah, I want to direct it, you know. But <laughs> and I, How about Ruth, tell Ruth to be the MC. <laughs> yeah, she just walked here. Okay, well, maybe, maybe uh, you could be the MC, Alan. Oh, I don't know how to do it. <laughs> That's yeah. how you start. Right. <laughs> okay. we, we we learn by doing. <laughs> we're 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 starting the broadcast right now. And um, I got to uh, change hats now. <laughs> I, I want um, Pops Harlow to explain to all of us why he doesn't want to be the MC <laughs> because it's a, a, a distinguished role 
It's a role of of um, of of authority and distinction, and then um, some, of which everyone should experience. <laughs> so uh, my question is, why why don't you want to be the MC? Well, because I don't want to hog all the fun. So you have is it really fun, fun Steve? I'll take care of that. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I got that under control. All right. And, and also, um, well, there's an artistic reason. Um, okay. Artistic reason is that I, I admire um, the film direction, um, film director approach that Andy Warhol took. Oh, oh God! <laughs> Turn on the camera. <laughs> Set up the camera. Turn on the camera. Nap, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I like um, you know my personal tastes, you know, for these podcasts and such. I, I like the awkward pauses and oh. um, people fumbling for ideas. I, mean, I, I think that's the best stuff. Oh. Odd. <laughs> We're a We're virtual supermarket of those. <laughs> <laughs> And since All this, you want, everybody <laughs> an awkward pause. I, I will, as as the uh, MC today, I will ask uh, anyone if they have a theme, a theme that they think we ought to follow. And if nobody has a theme, I'll I'll make one up. Oh, great! Hey, sounds great. Isn't this the ninety-sixth episode of this the podcast? Ninety-sixth. Episode and the date is August nineteenth, twenty thirteen. Let's all introduce our names. Uh, this is I'm Steve Harlow and I'm in Southern California. I'm Ruth Parson. I'm in Brea, Orange County, Southern California. <laughs> hey, <laughs> how about Emery, Jim, and then Alan? Okay, I'm Emery Holmes. I'm in Pacoima, California, just north of Los Angeles. Uh, this is Jimmy DePeach in Arlington, Virginia. And I'm Alan Ludwig. I, I live in New York City, but right now um, I'm, I'm up in mid-coast of Maine. Mm. Have you been fishing? No, I've been taking photographs of circles. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, yeah, I, there's a lot of stuff up here. Are they perfectly circles. circular, or are, do you uh, include um, like an odd circle? Occasionally, an old no. I, I I go after perfect circles, but one once in a while, um, um, they're um, slightly uh, imperfect due due to the weather, uh, or they've broken and there's just a, a section of them left, um, mm. fragment so to speak. But yeah. mostly, I go for uh, perfect circles, okay. and uh, the ones that are imperfect are grotesque in in my opinion mm. yeah cool. so that's what I've been doing so does anyone uh, has anyone come up with a theme for for this uh, 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 show oh well, I have I have a wonderful <laughs> thought for a theme I really do what is that Jim? yeah yeah <laughs> i tell you what I'll do it when I'm in the MC though <laughs> <laughs> Emery, how do you feel about that? I wouldn't normally make a decision like this on my own, but... <laughs> okay. No, okay, i tell you what. Uh, how about this for a for, um, thing? I know that uh, we... Are, I know I have, and I am supposing that you have 
a touchstone, some archetypal uh, inspiration, um, a starting point from where you you, uh, you you stepped off to be to do something creative, identify yourself as a creative person, uh, whether it's a, a book that you read, a painting that you saw, a person that you met. A movie that you saw and watched, or in you know, or indigestion, as may have been the case with Charles Dickens. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, is there a touchstone? Is there is there a, a pole star? Um, maybe that once you got, maybe you don't have a thing that sort of started. However, do you have something that like you look at as a guide? Not necessarily in where you're going. That's where you want to get. But it depends on each person. So I don't even want to define it. Like More than that, is that where is you're that, starting from? Is that what you're after? Maybe. Uh, no, not just start. Not not really just the start. You know, because the start can be the goal, huh? perhaps. But more of um, something that stays with you. That's a fundamental, um, maybe a fundamental component of what you do. Continuous uh, motivation. I think yeah. I, I think I understand what you're saying, Peach. Well, it's like uh, from uh, whatever we gather from our interpretation of what Peach just said, that's the question he's posing that, to us. The question I'm asking. And so uh, I, I, have a, I had an automatic in, answer, and it was kind of surprising to me in a way, but I think it's a true one. And that is I, I rely on what I've learned about the blues, about wow. blues. Now you're talking. Yeah, I remember exactly. that I was, uh, uh, when I started reading Nietzsche, when I, I, since Stephen is out of the frame, I can mention his name. So uh, when I started. <laughs> Are you talking to me? No, sir. <laughs> Maybe. When I started reading Nietzsche, I was really kind of so impressed by the wit and the savagery and the kind of the violence and the, the kind of the, the generosity of his, his, his thinking and his language. And, and I said, you know, what, what is comparable to that? And the only thing I could think of that was comparable to that was the blues. Mm -hmm. Blues has all those qualities. Uh, it's funny, it's tragic, it's violent, and it's full of these moods, these wonderful shifting moods. And almost every story I've written uh, after I stopped doing journalism has had that quality, has, has, in, has drawn from that, that fountain of, of understanding that, that our lives are, are tragic, yet we do have an opportunity for bringing some kind of light and tonality and, and texture uh, to, to our time living here. And I think that that's the thing that we, we have to find a way to try to do. So my answer to your, 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 your proposal, Peach, would be that I, I rely on, on the blues to give me, to inform me and to give me kind of a, a, a field of play uh, that I can kind of work out my, my uh, ideas. Well, you know, the blues have a, a call and response Yes, built right in. I mean, that was pre-blues. And yeah. are you? Yeah. Is that some of what what you're getting? Is is your interaction say, with what your work is? Colin, like, that, that's a good point. Uh, Colin, yeah. I, I didn't. I wouldn't credit calling response as a as a inspirational as conscious uh, on top. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unless the reader 
it's uh, more relevant now with the the current media, the interaction media. Oh, that's true, huh? Yeah, 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 right. You're right. When I do a reading of my pieces, it's always fun to hear an audience try to enter into the harmony of that I'm reading in. I remember uh, I was uh, in um, Fort, Fort Smith, Arkansas on a press junket for a movie called The Soldier's Story. And uh, I had written a piece on, on one of the stars, uh, uh, Rollins, Howard Rollins. Mm -hmm. and, um, and as I was reading the piece, he started going, um, well, um, as if I was reading a sermon in a, in a, in a, a Baptist church. Yeah. Right. So, so I said, this is a perfect soundtrack. Yeah. For this piece, you know, yeah, well, mm -hmm, yes, yes, come on now. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so, cool. so, so that call and response is always a surprise to me. But, wow. Right, you're right, Peach. It is is a fundamental a part of it. But I, uh, uh, other than what Stephen has mentioned about the the new social media, the opportunities that it avails us of of having that direct call and response, uh, I, I really don't think of that. I think mm -hmm. of the, the, the big thematic uh, opportunities mm -hmm. that blues provides. You know, just think of, uh, you know, any, any of those guys, uh, Louis Armstrong, you know, Robert Johnson. Yeah. And the way they the way they tell a story is just like oh my goodness, it just sticks with you. So that's my contribution. Okay, who was I just listening to yesterday? He was talking about uh, um, George Duke talked about working with Frank Zappa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what you know that you're talking about is people um, who who, um, who who can tell stories. And, yeah. Uh, but that's how it was couched, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So how about well, you? Other folks, how about you, Peach? Well, I was sort of wanted to hear from Ruth. Well, I I I got two responses to your question. Okay. I got one in the writing department, and I'm kind of like a little bit ashamed that nothing has changed over the years. But um, when I was eight years old, we went on a drive up to Seattle from Palo Alto. It was like a long drive. Yeah. And. Um, on the way back, I wrote a story, and like so, I'm eight years old, and I have the tools I need. I know how to use letters, put them into words, mm. and really, I think uh, I just was interested in hearing what it was I had to think. Huh. And you know that hasn't changed at all. I still like I write because I'm pretty interested in what it is I'm thinking because I uh -huh. often don't know. So, wow. <laughs> until I write it down, well, who, oh, okay. Boy, that's something. That's simple, is it not? Mm -hmm. so it's like panning for gold. It's <laughs> like uh, you dip the pan in and then you do this shifting thing and you go, oh, this is what I have. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's always kind of a surprise. So <laughs> that was my kind of impetus for writing and that is uh, apparently just trying to figure out what I'm thinking is what keeps me going. And then in the um, sculpture department, 
was Rodan. Mm. Just, you know, um, I think what I loved about Rodan was um, his ability to catch, like, a moment yeah. through a gesture. He didn't yeah. need the whole body. And, you know, he began to eventually just focus on those pieces that told the story. Right. And that was real inspirational to me. Do you know the Burgers of Calais? Yeah, I've I've been like down on my okay. knees hearing them whisper. Uh, I, I that that's uh, there's a statue there of uh, of Burgers of Calais in the Hirshhorn Museum Sculpture Garden. Mm -hmm. It's Where's cool. Where's that? It's uh it's on on the uh, mall. It's a Smithsonian, one of the Smithsonian's. It's, it's right near the Native American and the uh, Air and Space Museum. So it's on Independence Avenue. All and right. it's got a lovely outdoor uh, uh, well, garden. Yes. Where did you see Rodan? Uh, Stanford University is the first mm -hmm. place I saw Rodan. Okay. What did you see? Um, Burgers of Kali were in there. Yeah. In the bronze? Yeah. You saw some waxes, right? Oh, I saw, yeah, I saw oh, waxes. Wax? Wow. Yeah, some waxes. I saw waxes of his work in Paris, for sure, but oh. there were also some in, at Stanford, and I think... Um, What's the museum that's out by the water in San Francisco? The Palace of the Legion yeah, of Honor. Yeah, they have fine <laughs> okay. collection there. Balzac is probably, you know, kind of like my favorite. Yeah, know? yeah. You know, because he's just yeah. like, such a mountain of a man. <laughs> so, okay, let's make you it know simple. The, you, know the, you know, there's two of those statues. There's two versions. Of uh, Balzac? Yeah. Huh, because there's the same thing. There's one in, in D.C. too, in the same garden. Because, you know, he's buck naked. Right. Right. I, and they said, oh, no, no, stop that. <laughs> put a or, coat on that man. <laughs> so he put a, a cloak. Yeah. On, so, but there's, there's one version that has him cloakless. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. <laughs> has anybody seen a version of it that is installed at ground level, which I understand was Rodin's uh, intent? Uh, but it, uh, every version I've seen of Balzac has been up on a high pedestal, so you're looking way uh, Well, it's on a pedestal, same, you know, maybe uh, three or four feet high, I think. Yeah, Paris I, I, I understand I'm actually going to look right now. Expected, uh, like he built the statue to show Balzac's monumental uh, uh, yeah. presence, and that it, he thought it would be best shown in comparison to a person. Uh, person would walk up to it and see that it is he's larger than than they are yeah um, and he wanted that uh, that relationship between viewer and and the sculpture to be equal they are both on ground level yeah like no one has presented it that way that I know of mm. yeah, I saw the burgers of Kali that way but not Balzac yeah. I have a, a comment to make um, on on the uh, um, the placement of, of, of works of art in public spaces and, um, um, and I'll compare um, New York City and Washington DC uh, Washington DC they have a lot of, um, of statues and um, uh, usually they're of, um, of public people and, and, and some of the men are on horseback and, and some not and most are on pedestals. And uh, the thing that struck me about all the sculpture in, and there's a lot of it 
in Washington, D.C., is that each piece um, is in an environment that has been very carefully thought out, whether it's a, 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 a um, large environment or it's, it's very small. Um, it has been thought out, and it hasn't been um, um, decided by um, um, developers that... Uh, it ought to be scrunched in because they can put a high rise up right next to it, and then it, it sort of. And then um, um, we were. Uh, my whole family was in Washington. Then we were back in. This is getting off the topic of of it, but where we were back in New York City, and they have a uh, a program for um, uh, a, a public sculpture, and it's run by the Parks Department. But there's so little land in New York City where they can put it that they plop these things down wherever, you know, um, um, there's a tiny little spot. Mm. And that spoils the effect of the sculpture because of one piece that I saw downtown on Lafayette Street. The cars are going past, you know, right and left, and the exhaust fumes are coming out of them. And, and there's this tiny little triangle of space, and there's this piece of sculpture. You can barely see it. There's no environment um, uh, for it uh, um, to breathe, let's say, and allow the viewer to, to get a really good look at it. And I thought that that was um, um, symbolic of the two cities that in New York the Parks Department um, thinks of public sculpture as a terrible burden. They've got to dump so many pieces on the streets uh, every few months because it's always changeable, by the way, unlike Washington, D.C. Mm. The works are always being changed. There was a big statue of, of Andy Warhol at uh, Union Square. It's gone now. Who knows really? where it's in storage? But in Washington, D.C., there's a sense of permanence. Yes. Of not only the statue, but permanence of the site. Now, I'm not talking about style, because the style in Washington, D.C. is definitely old-fashioned. And this, uh, in New York, there is no style. <laughs> where do we dump this thing? Like, like, it's a garbage man saying, where can I put the garbage can down that it won't roll in the street? Mm. So, um... Um, um, that's my comment on on the placement of uh, of public uh, works of art. Since we were um, yeah. talking about that uh, right now, so um, I, I've become very sensitive uh, to that. And uh, so I would say that uh, that uh, 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 Washington D.C. in my book gets an A plus and. New York City gets an F. <laughs> and I hate to say it, you know, because New York is supposed to be the, the dynamic center of the arts, you know, along with several other cities, and that's where things happen. But with public sculpture, no way. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, it, it, um, and to move on and get back to our theme... Um, I'd like to add that that um, 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 I have never thought about what motivated me to um, make photographs. Um, mm. 
one thing that did, and I remember it still, is uh, when I was eight or ten years old, or maybe twelve, I was trying to draw a, um, a, a, a portrait in profile like this, this the side view, mm -hmm. and I couldn't get the nose in perspective, right? So I kept erasing it and putting an, an, another nose in just slightly different, and it all came out so crummy, I erased through the piece of paper I was drawing on. And my mother came in and looked at the thing, because I was screaming at that point, saying, I'll get that, I'll get that, you know, it's coming out, I'll get it. And she said, what's wrong? And I, I threw a pot of ink at her, because I was drawing in ink. And uh, she closed the door, and it splattered all over the outside. Then my grandmother came in. And my grandmother said to me, uh, you know, you ought to get some books on drawing or something and calm down. I mean, <laughs> yeah, man, chill out. So, so I did and I kept drawing. Then I discovered the camera. And you don't have to do that. All you have to do is And that was coming out exactly in profile you know, where it should be. And the and then you can retouch if the person's got zits on their face, you know, you put it through Photoshop and you have a nice smooth skin or something like that. It's, I hate to say this about photography, but in relation to drawing or painting or sculpture uh, or any of the graphic other graphic arts, uh, photography is terribly easy. Um, at, it, because it's all there all at once, and if you don't like it, something you can retouch it. And uh, there, there are very few things in photography that require a lot of a tremendous amount of of uh, of thought and uh, uh, to do. <laughs> Snap, you've got it. Except. And then when you look, at it, you, you know, you think this one is good and this one is not so good, and. Um, and you can always tell if it's a portrait. I mean, like if, if someone in, in, in the picture you took uh, has just vomited, um, you say, I don't think I'm going to use that one. <laughs> but, I mean, if they've got a pretty decent expression on their face, okay, it passes muster. So um, um, I just go around and, and I'll give you an example. I don't, if you say to me, why are you photo graphing right now circles I don't know somehow I was out there photographing um, graffiti and I said look at all those circles and I started shooting the circles mm. I mean and I'm still shooting the circles but I don't I don't know why and uh, you know uh, they, 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 they right now you know Circles and uh, is the theme and motif of, of of what I'm doing, along with the graffiti. And I, I don't like to think too much about it because um, if you you can overthink it, and then it sounds like you're making up something. You're making up a narrative to justify what you are already doing. Yeah. If you know what I mean. 
Yeah. Um, that's point. all. That's all. I mean, and I don't want to make up a narrative. I mean, I'll do it if someone says um, you need to make a statement, or you know, you won't have this important show at the National Gallery of Art. Of course, I'll, you know, give in and you know make up some stuff. But if you, <laughs> yeah. if, if, if you asked me. Uh, I, 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 I wouldn't, um, um, you know, I don't want to write it. I wouldn't, you know, write a narrative or anything like that because uh, it would kind of spoil the, the sense that I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I'd like, I'd like to add something about um, what okay, you said about the. Cut. And then, then since I'm the moderator, I'll say, <laughs> cut, print. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Is it me? <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't want to make my statement about myself. I just want to make a statement, uh, observation, I think, about uh, photography, uh, because I hear you about uh, photography being um, easier in a lot of ways. I mean, it definitely is mechanical. Yeah. You just uh, push a button and you capture what's in front of you. But because it's so easy, it's kind of like um, you know playing a harmonica. Her playing a harmonica is really easy, too. But to do it well, to get a good photo, you know, to get a great photo is tremendously difficult, you know, because it's so easy to take thousands of pictures. It's really that hard to, to get one that's worth it. Well, so, so I, you know, I, I maybe should I just continue about myself yeah. then? Yeah, yeah. Because it's related to photography. My, my dad was a photographer, Alan, and uh, he, you know, more like a serious hobbyist photographer. And, and when I was a kid, um, pretty young, uh, I was in his, with him in the dark room and just, you know, thought that was so magical, the enlarger and the way the image uh, develops um, in, the, in the developer. I mean, it's like... Yeah. Uh, the image appearing on that paper in the, in the yeah. red light of the dark room, just yeah. fucking ma magical. I just loved it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, you're right. That's gone now. <laughs> yeah, That's that part gone. that part's gone. But um, really, they don't do that in oh because of the digital. Yeah. yeah well, there are some uh, there are some people who still do make stained glass. There, there. You yeah. know, uh, but and there's still some people. Who still working, but I, but it's gone over to digital, no question. Yeah, but, but that doesn't take the magic away. The digital going to digital photography changes the um, changes the situation in which you develop a picture, because the the immediate capture out of the lens can be can be the end of it, but is usually not. Uh, usually, the capture just starts the beginning of a picture. And I was spending, um, I spent about an hour and a half last night just very happily uh, painting digitally in, in a weird way on a photograph that I had taken, uh, just a, a relatively boring uh, landscape thing. And I just had so much fun developing it <laughs> because there, I'm, I'm learning more and more. I use GIMP instead of Photoshop now because I'm, as a retiree, I can't be... Um, Dependent on uh, expensive software. So what, what's it called? The GIMP. The um, GIMP. G I M P. Or yeah, I work. That's a great name. Yeah, um, it stands for uh, 
the operating system, the open source operating system called GNU, G-N-U. Oh. This is mm -hmm. the GNU image manipulation program. So it's a completely free open source software that's continuously being developed by volunteers and um, you know, uh, developers who are trying to show their chops and you know and, and uh, people who are wanting to customize the software to to do specific things. So it's uh, more than just uh, like a it's not like a company producing this. It's like a a global community producing right. this software, and uh, it. You can have a lot of involvement in the development yourself if you want to, but or you can just like me, I take the most stable version and I just use it. Uh, you know, figure out how how to use it. It took me a long time to get the GIMP to do what I used to be doing in Photoshop when I I used to have Photoshop for ten years or so um, because I worked for a company that would buy the updates all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, it's ridiculous to pay $700 for a piece of software to mess around with an image when the GIMP does it all and it's free. Mm. But in any case, I'm, you know, layer going through layers and layers and layers of learning about how to how to manipulate the image uh, digitally, and I just found some new level of it last night and and uh, working on this piece. I it was. I'm not sure the picture I ended up with was really worth all the effort, but it was uh, such a great learning that um, that was definitely worth it. Uh, the, the abilities that I learned, it, it just, it, it's amazing what can be done, but it's, and it's, that idea is kind of related to photography too, the ease of photography, because mm -hmm. um, digitally you can do so much, it's phenomenally difficult to figure out what you should do you know what really adds you know what makes art out of these digital captures and all these limited possibilities how do you take a digital capture and make it into into the art that you want you know, mm -hmm. the art that really expresses what you are about um, mm. that that is tremendously difficult and Actually, in some ways, the old days of the darkroom with the the chemical development and the enlarger and all that that there was less less possible with that. Even though there was a lot possible in darkrooms, and you know, people throughout the century uh, uh, showed just just wonderful things that could be done. There's less possibilities in that, and uh, then in um, digital image manipulation. So. Mm -hmm. Digital is more difficult because the possibilities are so unlimited. Mm. But but uh, I, I would like to I would like to uh, say that the they may be unlimited, but if you're out there with a camera and um, and uh, there's a uh, I'll give you something that's uh, that's uh, a good illustration of uh, of um, uh, um, of of how you know you go out and you push the button you've got the shot but yeah. that's not always true because right. if there's a truck moving through your neighborhood and it's got graffiti on it and you want to get a good shot of all four sides of the truck and it's <laughs> moving away from you um, then you're in a time matrix what do you do run after it you, which I've done 
you know, and then you only get one side, you hope for a light at the corner, you know, I'm, I'm no spring chicken anymore. So um, Cartier-Bresson had his decisive moment, and he was out there with the Leica, he was one of the first few with Andre Cortez and others who, who used the, a Leica, and um, to, to him, walking around was a temporal event. You just didn't push the button and get the image. I mean, things were flowing past him, and he had to push the button at the right moment. And that mm. was what he called the decisive moment. Yeah. So um, even if the object was still, it was still the decisive moment because other things were shifting around, including himself um, um, uh, in, in these cityscapes. And... Uh, or a person moving there on this way or that, and just get that, you know, decisive moment. So that part of it is is um, is is not easy. No. The the part that's easy is is getting the um, the the image, uh, uh, and bam, you know, um, you you push the button, we do the rest. Kodak, and now Photoshop does the rest. If you, you know. And they they've got a, by the way they have a Photoshop that that costs ninety bucks and it'll yeah. do most of the stuff that 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 it won't do layers it won't do very complex stuff but it'll do um, well do some layers but it'll do mostly um, um, what you want uh, w which is to leave the picture most the image mostly alone. Because when you overdo the layers in Photoshop, it looks very artificial. It looks like cheap surrealism. You've yeah. seen those photos. look like cheap surrealism. Yeah, there's a lot of people doing bad art with uh, those Photoshop layers. A lot of people uh, do that. But and, not all uh, of us, man. I'll, 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 <laughs> shut up. I'll, I'll shut up because that, that's because basically... Um, 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 I don't want to have um, a narrative about what I do un unless someone's, you know, says we won't give you a show or pay you a lot of money and then I'll do it. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it doesn't come to that. Uh, and uh, so no one has, 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 has a asked me. Oh, Pops asked me once uh, years ago. I was doing uh, pictures of... Um, of um, um, abstract pictures, yeah. and uh, I was doing abstract pictures, and I found out that, and I was trying to shoot them with my eyes closed, which I did, <laughs> and some of the pictures I shot with my eyes closed, um, because see, my camera focuses automatically, I don't get blurs or anything, right. um, were just as good as the pictures I took with my eyes open, so the decisive moment Gone, right? You close your eyes, you snap away. And say, you know that was really good. Then I read an article that 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 they gave a monkey a camera, and the monkey started using it, and the monkey was knew what it was and was taking good pictures. Monkey had an exhibition. I mean, listen, if a monkey do it, I mean, how hard can it be? Well, that changes the decisive moment from the moment of snapping the capture uh, to selection afterwards. You know, the selection. Uh, that's the, selection the decisive after. moment, is which one of these uh, hundred shots I took 
is the one that I should present. Well, uh, well, that's 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 always a, um, a thing. But you do it the same way. You always say, "Well, I'm going to use this one," and 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 you don't think too much about it because then you right. wrap yourself up in in all kinds of other issues, which I would rather not uh, do because I want to get on to the next thing. Take right. this one, you know, and get on to the next thing because uh, that's the excitement of it, being out there on the street, snapping away and, you know, finding more. Right now, finding. And when I stop doing circles, there won't be a reason for it. The reason would be um, I'm on to something else or something. Oh, my God, look at that. I've got to get some shots of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And... Uh, so I found that that's in, the, all. in the waning days of uh, film photography in the 90s, I had a, a little Yashica um, point-and-shoot camera, which I shot uh, high-speed black-and-white film on around San Francisco and around where I worked. Uh, just shot of uh, action shots of uh, people, people performing work and a lot of stuff on the street. And I found in that process that... Um, Trying to frame the shot um, was not helpful. Uh, I got the best compositions by not looking through the viewfinder at all, but just, you know, literally pointing the camera at arm's length um, uh, in the direction of the subject and shooting a couple of shots and then mm. later selecting the ones that worked. Mm. Right. So you say so, that, well, it, therefore, Photography is very easy to do, but it's but it's a very uh, a very emotional thing because if you see people who who look at that, that's one of Steve's shots. Yeah. There you go. Well, that yeah, that was from an yeah, even t- earlier period. That was from the eighties, and that was a good camera. That was a, a single lens reflex camera. I forget the name of it. Contacts. You know that Contact. camera, right? Yeah, they were very good. Right? That was a good one, and and that was my. That's mine. That's Ruth. <laughs> this yeah. is a Ruth piece. Thanks, everyone. So the when, audio listeners will get a lot out of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I noticed that when um, a, um, there's a terrible accident, I mean, I'm making it all sound very superficial, but it really isn't, boy. Photographs can evoke the most basic um, emotions, especially when there's a death in the family, you know, a horrible death, you know, someone is in a car accident or someone gets shot by the police. What do the parents do? They hold up a picture in front of them, you know, of, of the dead person and they're crying, you know. I mean, it doesn't get more primal than that. Uh-huh. And they use that last photograph- one. They're not using, so photography is a in spite of all we've said, is a very powerful medium, very powerful, and yeah. has scarcely been explored. It's tricky. Um, it's, uh, tricky, yeah. Run MDC Ooh. said it's tricky, yeah. trick, trick, tricky, <laughs> <laughs> tricky to rock a rhyme. <laughs> Does anybody else have any, um, um, you know, when they started doing the, um, you know, the, um, um, any moment when when they decided that uh, they just had to, uh, you know, get into the creative arts of, you know, or, or uh, you know, that was their 
Waiting for you, Peach. <laughs> well, um, I did not have a, a moment like that. I had a, since I was uh, a little kid, I always felt uh, uh, isolated, different, like an mm -hmm. alien. So I, I would have moments on the way to way to school, you know, of uh, something that would uh, support that with my imagination, you know, mm. car, the, the, the black car that pulls over and, and shoots the kid, drives away. It's like, all right, my life's over, right on. Mm. That's my, uh, <laughs> my fantasy, you know, as a little kid oh, that no. somehow people I've never met, you know, I don't know, we're going to uh, this beautiful little small town, uh, you know, for me, the, uh, the, the reality and stuff that's around is is very um, false, and um, and what I like is is people that that capture the the falseness of it. And when I say false, I don't really mean false. I I, I think maybe shallow would be a better word. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I've had people that that are just uh, jazz musicians, um, rock and roll. I know when I heard um, speaking of blues. Uh, the first time I heard the album of uh, Eat a Peach and uh, live, at, live at Fillmore West, there were some live cuts on there that I... Brothers? Yeah. And there were some live cuts on there that, I, I, that were like live jazz, you know. Mm. They go in to record jazz and they just turn on the deck and they have a couple mics and that's it. And they say, okay, next take. So they might record four, five, six songs in a couple hours <laughs> back in the 50s and all that. Anyway, this rock one was uh, was always live too, with uh, no with the same uh, surprises as uh, you know jazz, and so that that discovering situations like that and people like that and uh, like the use of the mastery, I guess you'd say. I've I've been impressed by masters of mm -hmm. Uh, creativity of of um, culture, right? A master of the culture <laughs> means that they're not they're not subject to the whims of the culture, you know. Mm -hmm. And a uh, master of uh, of certainly of the music is not subject to the whims of the music. Um, they play what they play, and you know. So it's too bad we can't hear Mozart's jams, mm -hmm. right? Is improv to me? Yeah. And list jams because yeah. all we see is they had to write notation so the people could play, but you know they'd go they'd go play a gig, <laughs> you know like a dinner thing you know, and they'd play some stuff, and then they'd yeah. take off you know and yeah. jam, yeah. And um, so these they not only were the masters of the of the uh, of the um, composition, but I know that they must have been. Uh, Improvisational. Oh, uh, yeah, we've had a lot of reports about that. Yeah. And of course, yeah, we don't so, have any, we can't experience it directly, which is no. really a shame. Um, I, I saw uh, Jack, not Jack T. Jeanette, um, uh, Keith Jarrett. You know who Keith yeah, Jarrett right. is? Oh, yeah. The pianist? Yeah. Um, he's played with uh, Gary Peacock and uh, I want to say Steve Swallow. I don't think that's anyway. He's played for the same with the same trio for a really long time, 
And um, he talked about it in the in the recording that I saw, just an interview about creativity, you know, and improvisation. That uh, um, they rehearse, you know, and then they go and but wherever, wherever they play is pure uh, takeoff, you know. It's it's not they they don't repeat the rehearsal. Back rarely do they even touch on anything from rehearsal. So <laughs> that kind of stuff's very inspiring. <laughs> yeah, I think that's uh, because the audience doesn't powerful. know. You would never know that, you know. Um, writers like that, uh, you know, God, there's just so many of them that uh, <laughs> create. You know, I mean, Jack London again. I go back to him because uh, to, to, to light a fire and to oh, gee, what a piece was a was one of those when I when I ran across it. You know, it's like wow, you know, and Incredible, and I, I listened to uh, or watched uh, Bukowski uh, do a, a reading yesterday. This is another example, and I can't say I have as much in common with, with him uh, as far as um, his um, uh, persona of yeah. a hedonistic uh, wild man, yeah. you know, and. Um, but I, I do have, the moment he starts talking his poetry, it's like, I'm, I'm right there with you, brother. You know, I'm right there with you. And, um, and I got to go back and look and say, did, is that, did he steal something I wrote? <laughs> Not because I, I'm much of a writer, but simply because he's sort of on a jag there, you know. He, he's winging it. <laughs> so those kind of, I guess I... I I'm really attracted to to, uh, to people who are really good at, at what they do to the point of um, to the point of, of not being an expert on what they do. Does that make any sense? You know what I mean? It, uh, there's people who, who are experts, you know, and they'll tell you the subject and and uh, and then there's a person who will just sit down and do it, and get up and walk away. They don't even, you know, the fact that they did it is unimportant. You know, they're not, it's not about a legacy, you know. It's not about uh, this, you know, this draws on that. It's just, it's like, a, it's like a brainstorm, you know. They just sat down and did it. And so, you know, hooking up late, later in the day with uh, this haiku stuff and, um, the, it really relate to the fact to the to those kind of things of number one you know is this does this feel balanced you know like when I'm when I'm working on it you know because things I don't really even if I my goal is to make it unbalanced you know like when you reach the point then it's done it's done so to me that's a balance that's a that's a uh, uh, a place of equilibrium in the in the physical writing of it, the reading of it, if you were to read it out loud, if you were to listen to it, um, maybe not balanced for anybody else, but that kind of. So is there is there an equilibrium there? And um, that's a big issue for me in painting. Like yeah, how to keep myself from um, over completing things. Mm -hmm. mm. I could see that because it's a lot more difficult to take it back. You know, yeah. I mean, well, like, a, you I know, I get an idea, like, a, you know, a simple 
explanation, a, a simple process would be like, well, this this area of the sky needs to be blue. Right. So let's start painting blue. Well, I got to keep myself from painting it all blue. You know, got to <laughs> stop myself before I'm finished with that thought. And then mm -hmm. you have another thought. Because, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, all the... You know, the reality is the what we see is not is never one color. And so, is there a conductor up here that, that that's catching those things? Is there a conductor up here, a coachman? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's my, you know, that's my skill and practice as a painter. It has all been about you know what to do and when to do it and uh, how much of it to do, and it's a continuing process. Uh, you know, I don't, I. I change forms but i don't get any better at it um mm -hmm. i have to uh you don't get any better at it no and not that part of it you know by, uh -huh. by like knowing what is uh, what is enough that that is the most difficult thing mm -hmm. how how far to go mm -hmm. um, to carrying out a certain concept uh, how far is too far you know, how far is is where it should be because i want my work uh, to be open to other people. And if an artist really finishes it and polishes it, and then it's like closed. Nobody else can enter it. You know, it's it's so done that it it's not worth looking at because there isn't any interest. Uh, the, the interest, I think, for art in in viewers is to see themselves in it, to have it like form in their mind. You know, like I often think, you know, I. I, I'm painting, my paintings are, have the subject of the outside world, but the, that's not what's interesting to me. I think I'm painting the, um, I, I want to be painting uh, the joy of, 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 um, eyesight, eyesight, you know, yeah. this is a celebration of, of the fact that we have eyes and, and aren't mm -hmm. they fucking amazing, you know? <laughs> And um, I lost my train. Yeah, somebody, somebody else go. Well, I'll pick it up here. It's 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 very hard now to talk about the uh, creative process, and it was much easier um, uh, in in an antiquity, um, right through the beginning of of modernism, because um, what you could always say was that you were inspired. And then if someone said, what did that mean? It means a, sh a shaft of golden light or silver light came to you <laughs> from heaven. And, and if you wanted to make a figural statement about that, a beautiful um, um, nymph it came down and whispered in your ear. And, um, um, and you started writing out very quickly and... and, and uh, and it was a moment of uh, creative madness because, of course, you were you were possessed um, yeah. by the infinite or by or by um, um, the gods um, to do this, and that was the way they um, um, interpreted um, um, art it, it, uh, or, or the finished. It was a divine gift to the poet. Basically, they were talking about poetry first, and uh, uh, but all the other arts glommed onto that. And then, um, slowly, as um, 
as um, as the uh, as, as modernism took the stage, whenever you want to say that happened, um, 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 all of those beautiful ladies went away, and the shafts of light and golden light, and there was no more inspiration um, uh, of 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 that kind. So you couldn't use that as a kind of um, a narrative. Uh, crutch or people don't use that as a narrative crutch even in improvisational improvisational stuff is the perfect thing you know you're possessed you're ecstatic you know the you know the gods have you in their grip and out comes this absolutely unbelievable you know of uh, uh, music or uh, like 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 orpheus you know in the so beautiful that that the wild animals came and uh, yeah. uh, the wild animals came and sat and listened uh, to, to 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 his music. My God, <laughs> I mean, you can't get better than that. There you go. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. But um, but today we don't have that kind of uh, crutch, that narrative uh, crutch. I mean, I haven't heard a person say anymore that that some kind of nymph came down and. You know, inspired this well, person. We have, I, I hear that idea expressed uh, from um, a lot of times in in different ways, and I think like Emery has talked about uh, writing in his novels, having the characters begin to dictate what they're going to do in the novel. Right. And that's that kind of possession thing, right? That's the yeah, divine I, inspiration I, thing, you know. I'd introduce the character just to fill out some space, basically, as a kind of a, a literary bookmark, you know, to, to kind of fill in space. And then this guy started getting a free will, and, and, and there was a decisive moment in the novel in which uh, he's leaving with, a, with another character, and, and he starts fumbling around in a desk, and I'm typing, and I'm saying, what is he doing on a fucking desk, right? And he takes out this object, and he goes, and, and right at a crucial moment, where in the earlier iteration of the story, I had no how this how this scene unfolds. He decided and stepped up, and I, it was like watching, a, you know, like a, a, an eyewitness to an event that you're seeing at the same time the characters are seeing it, and everyone else is seeing it. And I, I just think that that is just emblematic of what art gives us: that opportunity to be present at that particular moment where no other reader can ever experience that. You get to, but you know, and then you shuffle, you're now in the group of readers, just like everybody else is. But you had been present at the creation, so to speak. And, and there at the moment where, where all the ideas and skill and training and experiences, et cetera, uh, conspired to create this, this beautiful, unanticipated moment. And the last thing I want to say on that is that um, uh, the, the French philosopher Descartes, Descartes, he talks about this. He talks about your experience leading you up to like the edge of a cliff. But the thing that, that allows you to take flight and fly into that abyss, over that abyss, he called it insight. It's, it's a thing that you can't calculate. It's it's inside you, and it it it, but it, it it has wings and allows you to 
go over this darkness which no one else had been able to traverse. And uh, I, I, think, I think that's just such a lovely concept. He has that in his Rules for the Direction of the Mind. Rules for the Direction of the Mind. If, if I could break in, I, I think this is a good point at which we could, uh, we could end this uh, discussion because, yep. first We're of over. all, it's timely. And, and basically, you were talking about the inspiration of, of the artist, no matter not using that term and, you know, no angels are flying around yeah. your head, but there it is. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's it. Yeah. yeah. So um, uh, the, that, was a, that was a good place to end, I, I would think, this discussion. Uh, uh, Steve, what do you think? That's, it's, it's, think You're the moderator. Well, I'm the moderator. And I think he called it. You're right. ...of what creativity is. No. So I think you're right. I would say, um, um, uh, um, uh, as a moderator, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm asking the group if, if they also think, this was it. I mean, no, it. it's been said, and, and, and this is a good time to... Um, oh, I'm sorry, Alan. To what? break into that, but yeah, I just wanted to add to this inspiration part is when I was doing performance art, it all came that way to me until the very last piece, which was so, the last piece was so um, not what I wanted to be doing. I quit doing performance art altogether. Mm -hmm. but, you know, I pretty much did most of my work by going, walking into the space that I was going at, you know, that I would be performing in and I see a vision and then I would just enact that. Mm. So it always yeah. came in the old-fashioned way. Divine inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Since the divine is within. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So, so the last time, now you have me curious, the last time was, was there no divinity or was yeah. there no... The last time somebody said, oh, I love your work. Um, can you come and do a piece at this event? And, and the inspiration never showed. And it was just, yeah. like, just horrid. Gotcha. <laughs> that, that golden light. The never golden light did not down. show. <laughs> so right. thank See you. See you guys next week. I'm done. See you next week. Ciao. Okay. Ciao. Yeah. Thanks. Bye, Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah.